Well, we thought nobody would come at lunchtime, but here you are. I'm glad you came. So this is going to be the warm-up, but we're going to have to do it for real now, so I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm really grateful to see you, and I want to be one of the first, at least to say Merry Christmas. I'm glad uh, that we get to share it together. You can say it back if you want. It's fine. Yeah, thanks. I feel better now about myself. Um, Really, really thankful. We've been in this series over the Advent season uh, Advent is just this idea of waiting or anticipating the birth of the Messiah. And we've been in this season, our uh, sermon series, where we've talked a lot about that waiting. We've talked about the hope of Christ and the peace of Christ and the joy of Christ and uh, the love of Christ. And today is kind of that culmination where the waiting is over. Tomorrow, at least on our calendar, is Christmas Day, you know, and, uh, and we, we celebrate the birth of this uh, risen Messiah, this one that was born in Bethlehem to fulfill all the prophecy. But I was thinking about it a lot. My, my family and I, we went to, uh, we have this tradition where we go to uh, River Oaks each year and drive around and look at the Christmas lights, and, like drive two miles an hour for four hours. And uh, like, look at that one, look at that one, look at that one. So great. But uh, as we were driving back, one of my girls said, I hate driving this time of year. I was like, why do you hate driving? But I do hate driving this time of year, too. And she said, everybody's mad. Everybody's angry. Everybody's more impatient. All kinds of things. I was thinking about that as we were driving home, thinking it really is. We do live in this, this world, even in this time, that's supposed to be about joy and peace and hope and all, all these things of a very joyful time where um, really there's a lot of chaos, and uh, we've actually, we've prayed and cried out to God about our own chaos, even these moments. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of chaos. And the good news about Jesus being born in a manger is that he is the one that brings shalom to that chaos. And I, I'd like, I'm going to get you to turn, if you have a Bible, to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And I want to celebrate Christmas Eve with this thought, that when Jesus was born, we, we think of this infant, and doctrinally, we think of this is, this is the, the, the one that was prophesied about that was born of a virgin that's impossible, but yet the Spirit conceived in Mary and bore this son miraculously. And he was born in Bethlehem perfectly, like all the prophets would say. And we look back on this and we think about it and then we rush to the Christmas tree and sort of open presents. But some, something so much bigger was happening in that moment. It's like the shalom maker entered the world. The shalom maker, the one who brings shalom to chaos. Shalom, if that's a weird new word for you or if you've only just seen it, like at Cracker Barrel on some sign that says shalom, y'all, or uh, something like that. It's just a word that means peace, but it's more than uh, peace. It's this, it's this peace with God and with each other, this internal peace that only comes uh, when the chaos is, is gone and you've sort of been reconciled and redeemed and restored. And, and, uh, and anyway, the one who would bring that kind of shalom, that kind of peace, was born that night. And, uh, and this is what we celebrate, as much as we'll have fun tomorrow, 
uh, we celebrate an amazing, amazing moment in, in history because of who it centers around. Uh, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me. I want to read this one verse. And we stand in honor of God's word. Um, and we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading, it's just to distinguish God's word from my uh, own. And this is from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Could be seated. Emmanuel, there may be some Emmanuels in the room. It means God with us. And this was uh, why Jesus was named Emmanuel, because when he came, he was literally God with us. It's like the, the one that could restore everything uh, showed up. Well, I like to understand the context, like why was Isaiah saying this? You, you got to realize that Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the prophecy of it took place, it was uttered seven, eight, nine hundred years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. I mean, the document it, it, that, that we have shows the age, it, it just came way before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And what's the context? I mean, why, why, are, why is Isaiah telling the people this? And, and this is what I think you have to understand. In this moment in Isaiah chapter 7, really all of 7 and 8, detailed this war called the Syro-Ephraimite War. It's a huge war between 734 and 732. It takes place two, two solid years. It's the Syrians and the Ephraimites coming against the people of Judah in the same spot on the earth where all the trouble's going on today, right? This is, this is the epicenter, kind of, and, and, uh, and this, is, this is happening. And Isaiah prophesied in the midst of this war. Now, there was a king that was an evil king over the house of Judah, and his name was Ahaz. Ahaz. I bet nobody's named Ahaz in here. We got some Emmanuels, but no Ahaz, because this guy is known as the evil king. In Isaiah 7, 2, it says that that king came against uh, the people of Israel, and it says that the heart of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. I want you to hear that again. The heart of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So the nation, the people, the tribe of Judah are horrified. This is chaos. This is utter chaos that they're getting ready to go through. They know it and they're afraid. And that's when Isaiah says, therefore, don't, don't worry, that there's coming a better king than Ahaz, a righteous king who will be born in Bethlehem. He'll be the shalom maker. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and that, and that son's name, he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. So here's what to look forward to. We're going to go through something very chaotic, something very bad, but take hope, have joy, understand the love of God, hold on to peace, because the shalom maker will be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And it actually happens eight, 900 years later, right? Now, Isaiah would go on to say in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for, for to us... 
a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Shalom. So this Jesus that's born in the manger that we sing about, that we celebrate, that was born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, he is so much more than just the one who died to save you from your sins. He's the one who makes shalom in you, in the universe, in eternity. He's the sovereign king of the universe, and yet he straps skin on. I was talking to our, our team earlier, this maybe a couple weeks ago now, and we're talking about the, the enfleshing of God, that, that Jesus left the throne room of heaven where he was, he was in perfect uh, community with the Father, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, where he's utterly worshiped and where everything was perfect. There's no sin there, no impact of sin there. He left the throne room of heaven and he came to be born in Bethlehem, a no-name town that was maybe six, 800 people at the time. Not very big at all. Outside, five miles outside the city of Jerusalem. It's a shepherding town. And he's born in what most Easterners think is a shepherd's cave. We like to to make a wooden little manger thing, but probably shepherd's cave where you keep the sheep. A manger is a stone trough that they eat from. Well, if if you visit a shepherd's cave and there's been sheep in there, it stinks. You're following me, you're tracking with me, you get it? Can you imagine leaving the throne room of heaven, strapping on the skin of an infant, and being born in the lowliest town, in the lowliest place in the lonely town, and laid in a manger on top of the dung? And I was just saying to our team, like, he he did that. He came to the earth and was born in the dung to deal with our dung, my dung, your dung. It's sin. So all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so this is what we find is that he is a shalom maker and he's willing to go the extreme in order to make shalom. So, so here, it's not just history though. He was in his, in his to come. It says that he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, that he's past, present, future, that he has no beginning and he has no end. It's not just back there. But he is ruling and reigning even today. And there are three things that happen that we need to understand that he's doing as the shalom maker. The first is this, and this I am eternally grateful for. I will be grateful for it the rest of my life. He brings shalom to everyday people like you and me. He brings peace to everyday people like you and me. The writer Paul wrote in Ephesians to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter two, verse 14, for he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace. It's not like we're looking for peace somewhere or we're gonna get it in some ethereal sort of way, but Jesus, the man born in the manger, the God-man, he is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What is the dividing wall of hostility? See, here's the problem. See, I'm a sinner. I, I, I have missed the mark. I have heard what God said to do, and I've done other things. Is anyone with me? 
right? And so this, because of that sin, it separates me from God. It, it creates a dividing wall of hostility where God, he has to make war on sin because he's perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly righteous. And so there was no way I could tear down that dividing wall of sin. There's no way I could deal with my own stuff in the way that it needed to be de- dealt with. And so he sent his son, his only son, the one he loved to be born, that he might live sinlessly and die a martyr's death as an insurrectionist falsely accused, put in a grave to only be raised three days later or on the third day and, to, and then to be seen by many and have it recorded and then to ascend from the Mount of Olives. And the scripture says even more so he's coming back again. You know, this is this is, what, this is the work that he's doing. He br- brings shalom to everyday people like you and me. That means that for me, what it means is that I can, I, according to the scripture, I can have access to God anytime I want. I can walk into his presence anytime I want. Uh, yes, I'm a sinner, but I've been forgiven of that sin and cleansed of all unrighteousness because of Jesus. See, he's the one that made peace. I didn't make peace. I'm still at war from time to time. He's the one that made peace. He brings shalom to everyday people, and he will bring that to you as well. He was born that we might be reconciled. Here's the second thing that we know from the context of Scripture. It's not only bringing shalom to everyday people. It would be enough, I think, if we thought, well, Jesus loved me so much he died on a cross to save me from my sins. He made peace between me and God. That would be such an important, huge, life-changing gift for us, but it's more than that. What we also learn is that he is making shalom in the universe. Now, I use the word universe because that English word pours from words in the scripture that speak of all of creation, of the cosmos, of the universe. Like it's all subject to futility because of the sin of men. And he's making shalom in that universe. Listen to what Peter said as he preached in Acts chapter 3, 19 to 21. It says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive. This is preached after he has been raised from the dead, crucified and raised from the dead. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the Holy prophets long ago. Now, the, whole, the restoring of all things, that's not just the restoring of Brian. That is the restoring of all things, of humanity, of spiritual things, of created things, what, uh, a, a removal of sin from the camp, a, a, a righteous dealing with it, and grace outpoured in such a way that all of the cosmos, all of the universe, all of the creation experiences the restoration of all things. Romans chapter 8, 20 to 21, Paul said to the church at Rome, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who who subjected it. See, the creation, uh, when sin hit the world through Adam, it changed everything. 
Everything broke. It's not Eden anymore. It's not paradise anymore. It's, it's, it's subject to futility. Walk around in the world today and you will find this to be true, whether it be dealing with men and women or whether it be dealing with the, the futility of, of broken creation and disease and all of these kinds of things that people have to deal with on a daily basis. It says that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, Adam, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, the creation, all of it, will be made new. All of it. Jesus says in Revelation, behold, I am making all things new. Every bit of it will be made new. The old will pass. The new will come. All of Scripture speaks to a time when Jesus, the shalom maker, born in Bethlehem in the dung, will restore all things. And here's how we know he will do it. He he, he lived. People can do that. He died on a cross. People can do that. But you don't know anybody else who said, hey, don't worry, I'm going to die on a cross, but three days later, I'll get up out of the grave and we'll have breakfast. And he does. He kept his word. He kept his promise. He always keeps his promise. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and when it's time, he's coming back again. He is making shalom in the universe, in the cosmos. And here's the third thing we find from, from the scriptures he, if he now is seated at the right hand of the Father, he has all authority. The scripture says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. That baby born in the dung in Bethlehem, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. All of it. There's no one ever in any generation who has greater authority than Jesus. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. And because of that, he has said to us, followers of Jesus, I'm going to commission you as agents of shalom in the world. I'm going to commission you as agents of shalom in the world. It says it many different ways. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go to all the nations with this good news about this baby born in a manger that died on a cross and rose again, is coming back again to save the world from its sins. Go and tell the whole world. Matthew chapter five, verse nine, Jesus says this himself. I think it's the most interesting, maybe misunderstood passage of scripture. (laughs) He's teaching. He's got some hard teachings. He says stuff like, love your enemies. Who likes that? He says some hard things, but this one he says, Matthew 5, 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, the shalom makers, for they shall be called sons of God. Why shall they be called sons of God? Because they look like Jesus when they make shalom. You realize there's a difference between keeping peace and making peace. Keeping peace is like trying to keep everybody happy. Jesus, if he had shown up as a peacekeeper, in Jerusalem, and, and the Jews were saying, hey, we want to take Rome. We want to overthrow it. He would have tried to keep them happy while, while making a deal, you know, with Rome and trying to keep them happy and everybody happy and all that because he wanted to keep the peace because he didn't want anyone fighting. That's not what he does. He makes peace. So in love, he, he, he pours out grace. He utters the truth. 
He has this phrase, he says, he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, if you had even known what it takes to make for peace. Do you know what it took for, for, to make peace? It took his life. It cost him everything. That baby born in a manger in the dung was born to reconcile the world, to make peace, to reconcile men and women with God, to, to restore the universe, the cosmos. See? And now he says to you and to me, his followers, hey, blessed are the peacemakers, the shalom makers, for they shall be called sons of God. Tell me, like, do you broker peace in the world as a follower of Jesus, as in, like, in your family? Do you broker peace? Do you make peace there? How about with the people you work with on your street, in your neighborhood, online for Pete's sake? <laughs> Who is this Pete? Anyway, that euphemism has always cracked me up. Do you understand that he has commissioned you as an agent of peace, a peacemaker, a shalom maker. Now you and I, led by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, broker peace. Jesus is a peacemaker. Why do you leave the throne room of heaven? To be born in a shepherd's cave and strap on the skin of an infant when you are the sovereign king of the universe. Why do you do that? to glorify the Father and broker peace between the Father and the cosmos marred by sin. He offers truth. You ever notice that? Like to the, to the, the one far from God, he, he, he pours out grace in the scriptures. But to the ones that claim to be close to God, who can never broker peace, offers truth, hard truth. And this is what he calls us to, to be peacemakers. He does the things that really make for peace. And as his followers, we should too, because first and foremost, he made peace between me and God, between you and God as a follower of Jesus. What if you have no peace with God? Tonight, today, what if you're sitting here and you're like, that's great, I have no peace with God. Here's what the scripture says for us. He says in the scriptures that God, the Father, he loved us and gave his son for us. That's why he was born in the manger. That all of that love, all of that grace to reconcile you, to save you, to restore you from your sin, that was initiated by God, not, not by you. That you're even sitting here thinking about it. It's initiated by God. So, you have no peace. What do you have to do? Well, the scripture says you have to acknowledge who he is in faith. He is the one that was born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross to save us from our sins. He rose again from the dead. Paul would tell the Romans who are struggling with, what do, what do we have to do? He said, if you would just confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a supernatural work. It's not natural. Supernatural. Something that takes place, that transforms you. But your first step is simply to 
believe. And maybe some of you here today, maybe you need that first step. You just need to, to lean in in faith and just whisper a short prayer to, to Jesus that says, hey, I heard the gospel, the good news tonight, and I, I believe. Will you change me, transform me, I forgive me of my sin? Some of you, that, that needs to be your response this Christmas Eve. For a lot of us, for a lot of us, we need to remember the Christ candle. It's been lit for us. It's the big white one. It's like all the other ones, hope, you know, joy, peace, love, culminate, source from Christ. And we need to remember as, as his followers, his disciples, that we are, in fact, his peacemakers in the world, empowered by, by his Holy Spirit. He said to his disciples, well, at first he said in the scriptures, Israel is the light of the world. And then it says when Jesus came, it's, it, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then when Jesus left, he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. And we just need to remember as we march right here past December 24th, into kind of a, a week in our culture where we stop and we relax and we reset before a new year, we just need to remember that we are, in fact, as followers of Jesus, the light of the world. And you may ask yourself, why? Why do I have to even embrace that? I just would go back to the shepherd's cave because the sovereign king of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, came to be born as an infant in the lowliest of towns, in the lowliest of places in that towns, in the dung to deal with your dung, and he did it, and he did it effectively, and you've been rescued and restored and made new. And that is a gift. That is a gift. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we're so grateful to gather in this moment and think of the gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus, and the magnificent plan to restore all things that comes through him and him alone. Father, I pray for people who are sitting here who wonder if they have peace with God, who are watching online and they wonder they have peace with God, would you make peace with them by your spirit even now in this moment? Let's just woo them by your spirit. Help them believe. Let them just be humble enough in this moment to confess you as Lord, to, to, to ask for the forgiveness of sin. And would you come into their lives and transform them, save them, make them new? And for many of us, God, that have walked with you, in Christ for a while now. Would you rekindle our flame, our zeal, our passion for the one, the one shalom maker that changed everything. In my life, he's changing it in the world. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.